This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Stock up with Bud Light for game days and check out Budweiser's limited edition Copper Reserve. Please drink responsibly. They're going to run and get that boot. This game's still alive, and the Hawks have a first down. Who wants to talk football? It's Ronnie Wingo, number 20. Touchdown, Arkansas. They talked the bar. This is the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. One of the things that I think was interesting, too, that I started thinking about yesterday and, and having some conversation with you, the fans, and you, the listeners, is just about the Razorback basketball team. And we went into in-depth yesterday of how disappointing it was and how a team that's 14-11 and 11 right now with six regular season games left and seven, I guess, if you include the postseason there in the SEC tournament, at least seven games left. You know, where are they going to go? What, what, what's the point of watching them anymore? What's the impact? And all of that fun stuff. And I think that the one thing that has fans even feeling more down towards the basketball team than anything, and I understand that having a down season hurts because if you don't win, then yeah, you're not going to feel very good about it. You're not going to be very happy about it. But to me, I think what makes this season worse is that you know that you're losing your best player And as of right now, you know you're not getting a great player in return. Because there's been times where Razorback basketball, especially under Mike Anderson, either was taking a step back or they had a a down season or they at least had uh, a season that didn't meet the expectations, but there was always some sort of light at the horizon. There was always, like, for instance, when he went 16-16 and that year, 9-9, and they didn't go to any postseason play. It was after the year where they had arguably their best team with Bobby Portis and Michael Qualls. They didn't, you know, there was nothing really to write home about for that season. But what a lot of people looked at is like, okay, well, Dusty Hannes and Moses Kingsley will be coming back as seniors, and they're really good players. They're adding Jalen Barford and Daryl Macon and Orlando Cook. Now, I'd say what you want about Cook, but at least at the time he was recruiting. He's one of the top JUCO players in the country. They're adding guys like that. And so maybe with all those pieces coming together and some of the experience that they've had before, that'll be able to mesh into an NCAA tournament team, and it did. And then the same thing. So you've had this happen before, and even the years where Mike Anderson was first trying to get it going, you saw Bobby Portis on the horizon that was going to be able to come in. You saw other players that were going to be able to add. You saw a guy like Moses Kingsley who was highly recruited. You saw some guys that were coming in. But right now... You're looking at the past of Mike Anderson. You're looking at the present of Mike Anderson. You're looking at the future of Mike Anderson. The past, say what you want about it, at least was semi-successful, depending on what your expectation was. But he has been to the NCAA tournament three out of the past four years. I know you love that stat, but that's the truth. Currently, it's not very good. Currently, this team is barely over 500, just three games over 500. They've lost a lot of games that have been head-scratchers. They don't have a lot of talent on the team besides Daniel Gafford and maybe Isaiah Joe and on occasion Mason Jones, but they don't have any consistency from that talent at least. And so the the current state of the Razorback basketball program isn't exactly fun to look at. And at least there's not any of these players besides maybe Isaiah Joe, besides maybe Mason Jones, that you're excited about the potential or the future of these guys. And then in the future, like as in next season, you know you're losing Daniel Gafford. Your best player, your only player that has any type of NBA caliber. And according to the recruiting services, as of right now, you're not getting anything back. You're not getting another four-star big man. 
You're not, you're not getting another Daniel Gaffey. You're not getting another Bobby Portis. You're not getting another Moses Kingsley. You're not getting any of those guys. And the only player that you've added with Justice Hill, he's he's not going to be able to accommodate what the loss that you have from Daniel Gafford. And so next season, it could be potentially just as bad, if not worse, depending on what the rest of the SEC does next year. Because you don't have enough talent, you don't have the players to be able to field it. And I think that that's what impacts Razorback fans and their disappointment with the basketball program right now more than anything, is that there's nothing on the horizon that they can at least point to and say, well, once this player gets here, or once this class gets here, it's going to be a game changer. And even right now, too, there's no player on the team, on this current roster, they look to and say, this player and this player and this player, give them another year or two. And they're going to be the difference makers because there's just not enough evidence for us to think that. And Nick, I know that we've talked about it, and I know you're big on just saying you got to get the players, you got to get the talent, which I agree with you completely. But there's just none of that hope right now for the future of Mike Anderson, this basketball program. And I think that's what makes it worse and how fans approach this whole program right now and why they're so down on it is because it's not good right now, but it doesn't look like it's going to be good, or at least there's nothing they can point to to say why it's going to be good here in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, uh, I think we first have to start with what are they going to do to create scholarships? Right now, you're looking at the scholarship situation, and Arkansas has 13 scholarships at this point. I'm not sure. Does that include Khalil Garland? Does Arkansas have 12 and then and, and plus him? You pulled the – yeah, we know. Pull the roster. I mean, up. you're the basketball guy. You're supposed to know this, <laughs> yeah, man. No, no, Come no. on, Al. And just like I, hey, I'm only here for gossip. <laughs> yeah, he's not here. Just for like facts. I told somebody last <laughs> night, I'm not here for any facts. I'm only here for for uh, for all gossip. But you first have to start off with how they're going to create more scholarships. Now, of course, Johnny Holmes, he's not going to be on on a scholarship next year. So that creates one. Daniel Gafford. He's no longer going to be here. That creates another one. If you can get Khalil Garland's scholarship back next year, I'm not sure what they're doing really with him. Hopefully at some point you can get some type of medical hardship where he can just he can still be on scholarship but that not count against your 13. And then I think if you're Mike Anderson and his staff, you ask one, maybe two guys to leave. Yeah. If you look in the past, if you look at what they did with D. Wagner, Whenever it was time to come back to school, they created a scholarship by asking him to leave. If you look at Bracken Hazen, they created a scholarship by asking him to leave. Um, Doobie Jenkins, they asked yeah. him to leave and, and created a scholarship. So they're going to have to create a couple of scholarships, whether it's taking Johnny's and it's Khalil and whatever you do with him and then asking a guy or two to leave and – if you're if you're a fan and you want Mike Anderson to stay, then you have to keep your fingers crossed and hopefully they go out and get a couple of junior college kids like Jalen Barford and Daryl Macon. The difference is though, we knew about those guys at this point. Right. Like at this point in the season prior to Daryl Macon and Jalen Barford coming in, we knew for sure that those guys were coming in. We knew that Arkansas was hot on those guys, um, and at this point they had either committed or signed or we just knew they were coming in. Whereas right now, just like you said earlier, there's no hope out there because we don't know the guys that Arkansas is on at this point. Yeah, there's a high school big here or a high school big there, but I'm not sure how much faith we have in that guy coming in and being Daniel Gafford from day one. 
And you have to look at it like this. Let's say Arkansas did replace Daniel Gafford. Let's even say Daniel Gafford came back. They're not good this year with him. Yeah, that's true. So, like, it's going to take more than you just replacing Daniel Gafford. I see so many people that keep putting out there, well, you know, next year your best player is going to leave, and who's going to replace Gafford? Who's going to replace Gafford? You need to hope that all the rest of these players get better or that they're able to add other things because right now with Gafford, you are not good. Yeah. And 14 and 11, and and I'd be leaning, so Arkansas's last seven, I'd be leaning more two and five, three and four than than yeah. four and three, five and two, or six and one. Yeah. I really would. So you're going to end up being – 500 or you know you may even end up with a losing season with Daniel Gafford so that means I want to stop seeing people saying well it never you know and Daniel Gafford he's leaving next year and all such stuff it's going to be I mean it's going to take a lot more even if he was to come back this team still have to get better follow the show on Twitter at hit that line AR you're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast now he does a tightrope back boy Houdini's in the house we're number three and nobody's home to watch that house. Touchdown, Hogs! Holy Hogs! I brought up in the previous segment just about the SEC and in basketball and how you have three legitimate teams that look like they could possibly make or at least play for a national championship this year in Kentucky, LSU, and Tennessee. Kentucky's not a surprise because Kentucky's always going to be there. I think Tennessee because they're all kind of different because Tennessee's more of there. They just have an old veteran team that's been developed and has a lot of talent. And then LSU is a very young, raw, talented. I mean, how many NBA players do they probably have on that one? At least two, three? Uh, two for sure. Yeah. Guys read from all waters. Yeah. At least. Yeah. And I mean, and they Maybe. could, they could yeah. end up having even more than that. And so, you know, they're all di- like different in their own way. And it's just amazing to me, too, because we talked a lot about the SEC and how they've developed coaches or at least gotten coaches to come to their programs and they've developed their programs into a lot better. And I think that a lot of times, because when people start playing this coaching carousel game, and if you just if people who want Mike Anderson gone, they start playing this game all the time. They start trying to look around the nation. It's like, OK, here's my wish list of who I would like to replace Mike Anderson. If, if you want to replace Mike Anderson. And I think that they look at things from a completely different scope than what reality is actually going on. And I'm not saying that you can't get a good coach in Arkansas. That's all I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that you don't. it's not like football. It's not like coming into the SEC or coming into a conference where you have the SEC network is some sort of interest or intrigue for a coach in basketball. I think that there are a lot of factors. Because people say, well, how in the world? I mean, surely Mark Few doesn't want to stay at Gonzaga all, the whole time. I mean, surely he's wanting to get out of Spokane, Washington. But that's not necessarily the case. Some people say, like, oh, well, surely Jay Wright doesn't want to be at a place like Villanova. Why would he want to be at Villanova when he can come to this school here in the SEC where there's so much more money and there's so much more support and you have more fans and all that? I don't think in basketball you can look at as far as coaches go from the same perspective that you can in, say, football, which a lot of people try to do. Because, and Nick, you may be able to speak more on this, but coaches, when they're looking at upgrading or going to a different program, first off, we don't see it very often where a coach from a big-time program or at least a Power 5 program goes to another Power 5 program very often. You don't see that very often at all. Unless they're fired, right. Right, right. But not yeah. by choice. Yeah, it's yeah. not like they go from being in a you know an ACC school to going to a Big Ten school. It just doesn't happen very often that way anyways. So coaches don't, I don't think they look at prestige and school spirit and history and traditions 
as much as what we like to think they do when they're looking at a school. Like, for instance, if Arkansas in the next few years they were looking for a coach, I don't think that they that they can look at it from this perspective of somebody like a Jay Wright or a Mark Few or no. it, you know somebody like that and say, oh, well, they don't want to be there because we can pay them more, we no. can give them more money. I don't think that's necessarily some a factor that as much as we'd like to think it is. Yeah, no, um, I'm with you on that. But now, I will say this, though. First off, it's not our job to find the next coach. If there is a coaching change of some sort, Hunter Yurichek has paid a lot of money, and there's a bunch of other people up there that make a lot of money, um, and part of their job is to find coaches that can win football, basketball, baseball, yeah. soccer. I continue to go on and on. Coaches that can win games. That's the first thing. And then the next thing, I don't think people quite – well, and I do – the majority realize this, but if you put it out there that you're going to have a coaching change and you are in the two-and-a-half-plus-million-dollar-per-year range – Regardless of what people may think, that's still a top 30 salary in the country. Yeah. Top 30. Imagine how many. So there are, what, 360 Division One basketball teams? Roughly. So then everybody has a coach and nowadays a head coach and an associate head coach or whatever. So now you're talking about 700-plus coaches out there, not even stating anybody that's in the NBA, um, you know, and, 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 and that's doing that thing. So you're basically talking about you have realistically a couple of hundred candidates out there that would love and that would that would take the Arkansas job in a second. And that argument has got to be thrown out the whole who would you get? Who would you get? Now, I do I am on the side of the people that say, Okay, well can you get somebody better? Are you going to make sure you get somebody better? I'm on that side. And I don't yeah. mind that argument and you saying because because and I'm with everybody else don't fire Mike to go hire Stan Heath right don't fire Mike to go hire John Pelfrey like let's not do that and don't even fire Mike to go hire a young a younger Mike Anderson if you are going to get rid of Mike Anderson if you are going to make a move at that spot then you have to go get an upgrade I don't want to do none of this like whenever the name is announced I don't want to have to go to Google 27 times to figure out I don't want to have to go to Wikipedia to figure out like okay who in the world are they talking about it needs to be a name that whenever they say oh hey it's this guy he coached here then majority of the people 75 percent plus of the people are like oh okay 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 I'm familiar with that but don't do a I, I can't remember when Stan Heath was getting hired and I was like who yeah the like what only thing you knew about if you him. just but but and I know you're gonna bring up the elite eight or that's whatever because that's it if you happen to go to sleep during during that part of the NCAA tournament that year, you didn't have a clue who they were no. hiring. No. And I'll tell you this, the only reason I knew who John Pelfrey was is because I'm from Jonesboro, which Jonesboro was in the Sun Belt, Arkansas State was, and Coach Pelfrey was in the Sun Belt. South Alabama, right? As well, yeah. But but it's like, don't go out there, do not fire a guy that's done what Mike has done here to go out and go get to guessing. Like, mm-hmm. don't, you can't, I just don't feel like Arkansas is in a point right now where they can guess and where they can fire Mike Anderson and go get one of those guys like that. But do you think, though, that Arkansas at least is still a top three or four job in the conference? Because here's the thing, because the reason I'm asking this is because 
from my perspective, and this is just how I am, and sometimes I feel like I'm almost like a prisoner from the past. Yeah. I look at it as Arkansas is a number two or number three job in the SEC. Of course, it's always going to be behind Kentucky. Just, yes. but everybody everybody's behind Kentucky. But then, what determines that? What determines where you rank as a college basketball job? I think um, the the amount of money that you're willing to pay a coach, not necessarily when it's going great. Anybody will fork over three or four million dollars if you have Calipari and you're, you know, oh, yeah. you're selling out and you're getting top ten classes. And and by the way, he makes way more than three or four million. But anybody can fork over money. Anybody can raise the money when you're doing bad. Think about this for a second. Arkansas is about to, Arkansas just went two and ten in football, and then they're about to turn around in basketball and miss the tournament. And when you combine those coaches' salaries, they're they're dishing out a little over six million dollars. To me, to me, the mark of your program is what type of support are you getting whenever you're not winning? How much money are you paying your coaches annually when you're not winning? How many fans are coming out when you're not winning? Remember this, and it wasn't too long ago that Mike Anderson had back to back to back to back to back, I think it was five or six, where he he was selling out every weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was a team that got blown out in the first round against Butler. That was never in the top 25. Yeah. Never, We never really thought they were going to be in the top 25. And Mike was selling out back to back to back to back. So definitely fan support, the amount of money that you could pay. Facilities at this point is just a wash yeah. because everybody has a nice facility. But, yeah, I think I think the, uh, the, the in-state recruiting, the fan base, the amount of money – and and I I also think so. Some of these schools like Alabama, Alabama's so good in football that it it, it hurts their basketball program. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, yeah, they're, it's crazy. But yeah, you're they're, right. They're so much of a football school that it hurts their basketball program. Tennessee, the exact same way. Could you imagine? In which I know the support is there. Could you imagine Arkansas was number one in the country in basketball? Oh, I mean that's it'd be insane. You'd have twenty thousand people at every game. You wouldn't be in, in which in which now. And Tennessee has a good following, but I see a lot of these Tennessee guys that are putting out, man, you know, I don't think the Tennessee fans are appreciating the number one team. You would never have to tell any Arkansan that they're not appreciating <laughs> Arkansas enough. Yeah. If they're number one in the country, yeah. you never have to say that. So I think Tennessee, I think with their football and their lack of recent success in basketball and another thing that Razorback basketball fans have and football too they can turn it on and off if you get good if you get good even for half of a season so if Arkansas happens to make a change in their you know in the basketball program and they start off next year non-conference and they start off you know 13 and 1 12 and 2 12 and 1 or something like that and they then take that momentum into conference play all the games will be sold out. So, mm-hmm. yes, I do think it is It is a top two or three job in the conference. And regardless of what we think, though, even if it is or if it isn't, when you're paying $2.5 million plus, instantly your phone is going to ring just about like any coach not in the top 20 right now and not in the top 15 right now, you probably can go and have a chance, at least a phone conversation, with any other coach in the country. Yeah. And here's the thing, too, that a lot of people, when you're talking about pay when it comes to SEC coaches, just to give every – because I don't think people follow coaching salaries in basketball like they do in football. When they trick you, because they see how every single year, like, everybody gets a raise. Nick Saban gets a raise. Jim Harbaugh gets a raise. It's pretty soon we're going to have a $10 million coach in football. At least we're on the way. But just to give everybody a perspective, you know, Mike Anderson, he's 25th 
This is just based on salaries, not including bonuses or anything. He is 25th in the country in salary at $2.6 million. Here's some of the other coaches that are ahead of him, or at least tied with him. Jay Wright, for one. But we think that, of course, he probably makes more in bonuses and all that. But it's just on salary, he makes more. Steve Alford did, but he's gone from UCLA. Dana Altman, Quanzo Martin makes more. Mark Tur- uh how do you say it? it's Turgeon? Turgeon. Turgeon. That's yeah, what I thought. Turgeon. Yeah, Mark Turgeon from Maryland makes more. Buzz Williams makes more. Brad Underwood makes more. Frank Martin makes more. Scott Drew makes more. Avery Johnson makes more. Tony Bennett makes more. Greg Marshall, Lon Kruger, all of these coaches. Shaka Smart over at Texas, Archie Miller. Uh, these coaches all make more money. And so it's just a matter of you as a program, you as Arkansas, if you wanted to make, if you were looking for a new coach in basketball, how much are you willing to pay? What, what, how much are you willing to fork over? You know, football, if, hey, listen, if you had a chance to get a big time football coach, Arkansas, they would fork over enough money to make it happen. If they, if they had somebody, if somebody like, I don't know, Nick Saban's always going to be the gold standard, but if somebody of the caliber that could help you compete for a national championship said, hey, I'm interested in your job, how much you want to pay me? I think Arkansas would find a way to pay him whatever he wanted. But in basketball, since it's kind of secondary, people are always wondering, okay, so what? how much are you willing to pay? Would you be uh, willing to pay a basketball coach more than Chad Morris? Because listen, because like say I don't think I don't think I don't think that you get out of bed thinking that now. But like if, course, if Bill if Bill Self said, oh, yeah, "Hey, yeah, I'm yeah, calling and yeah. calling up," he's like, "Hey, I want out of Kansas, yeah. but I want I want five million dollars." Are you writing that check immediately? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, no, because I'm the, I'm the same way. I'm at the point now where it comes to basketball that if you're wanting to make that move, pay it, pay it. It's not like you're having to play pay somebody like Brad Bielma a bunch of money, like you were before when you're paying him nearly five million dollars, four and a half five million dollars. Chad Morris is only making three and a half. Basketball, you, if you want to be that way, if you want to be a program, if you want to get back to that point, you got to be able to pay for it. You got to be able to pay up too. So, but I think Arkansas is a great job still. I think it's an interesting job to a lot of coaches. But like Nick said, if you want to make a change, if you end up trying to make a change for Mike Anderson, you better have somebody there. You better have somebody that's worthy of going out and getting. Because if you end up having a sad trombone after making that change, it's not exactly going to get the fan base fired up for the potential that he may bring. Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast. Give is to Alex Collins straight up the middle. And Collins on the run. They won't catch him. Alex Collins is going to take it all the way to the house. Touchdown, Arkansas. 80 yards. Welcome in, Jason Percy of The Athletic. Jason, appreciate you joining us this morning, man. How you doing? Sure. Doing good, John. Uh, and, you know, that we, we're setting it up this way where you had this one-on-one with Chad Morris. And just we'll just start right there. When you got to talk to him, it's different than hearing press conferences, obviously. But when you got to talk to him, just what was the overall feel like? What was your overall takeaway from him after seeing what he was the first time he arrived at Arkansas to where he's at now after having that tough year, just what was your biggest takeaway from that interview you had with him? Well, I mean, he, he seemed, you know, to be in good spirits. I mean, it, it was sort of funny. He, did, he didn't know who I was, uh, obviously. And uh, I, I had come in uh, a little bit earlier in the day, uh, actually talked to Joe Craddock um, and, uh, and for a different story. And, uh, he was walking someone around the facility and he stopped and saw me kind of standing there awkwardly and was like, can I help you with something? <laughs> so, I mean, he, he's kind of like a, was in a customer service mood, I think. But, um, and, and then when I got into the interview, I, I walked in drinking a Red Bull and, and he was 
you know, so intrigued by that and, and that he had to go stop before we started to go get his own Red Bull. I mean, he was in a great mood and, and you, you can tell that he's pretty excited about, about where the program's going, which, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm assuming that that's, I mean, that's probably a good thing, especially coming off of a two and ten season. Well, see, and that's really the thing that a lot of people don't really understand about Chad Morris is, is how his energy and his positivity has been able to fuel him. Because anytime you go two and ten, especially the way that Arkansas went two and ten, there's really not much that you probably feel good about. But it seems like he's kept his. I know there's times he's disappointed. I think after Mississippi State game, he was really upset and saying that was completely unacceptable that performance. So there's times he got upset. But the fact that he has still had the same level of energy, the same level of positivity going through what he went through in the first year and having the recruiting class that he did, I think is what's really given him a lot of hope, knowing that he's got help on the way that he'll be able to mold and it's actually his guys he's going to be able to coach. Yeah, and that was one thing I asked him about was the, the you know, trying to keep keep up the positivity and the energy and things like that. And, and uh, I thought that was a pretty good answer. He said, you know, that, it, of course, it, it wore on him and it was tough, but that, you know, he he could not change the person he was every day. He had to be the same energetic, positive guy every day. And, and uh, you know, that that's something that I imagine would be pretty tough when, you, when you're the head coach at Arkansas. You go 2-10, it's maybe the worst season Arkansas has ever had. Uh, and, you know, you lose to non-conference teams like North Texas and Colorado state. I mean, that stuff, that stuff's hard. It's, you know, and, and I imagine there's a lot of, uh, what have I gotten myself into? But, um, if there, if, if he did ever think anything like that, he certainly didn't tell me about it. He didn't show it to anybody. And that's, and that's also the thing too, is the fact that he's been able to recruit so well with having a two and 10 year, I think is what a lot of Razorback fans are finding hope in. I don't know if they're excited about, it, but they're at least finding hope. That hey, if he can do this at two and ten and recruit a class like this, just imagine if he can really get it going in the coming years and maybe get to that six, seven, eight, nine wins. What type of recruiting class will he have then? Because it doesn't seem like he's slowing down. And I know he he talked a lot also about uh, Dabo Sweeney and how he has a lot of inspiration from him. And I think that's also where Razorback fans find a lot of hope is they're hoping that maybe they can be Clemson. Maybe I don't know if national championship, but at least have that foundation built and have that structure and organization that they want to be able to replicate what's going on over at Clemson too. Yeah, I mean, and, and the recruiting thing is interesting because he he made the exact point that you just did that you know he he hopes that people think you know if we can recruit as well as we did after a season like we just had, then imagine what we could do if, if we start winning. And, um, and I think that's a, that's a good thing to think about. I mean, geez, if they go six and six next year, um, what, what, what will they be able to do if they did this well after two and 10? And the other thing about this recruiting class that, that, you know, you, you just look at the ranking um, and it's, uh, I think 24, seven, 20, they have them at 23 and they're sort of in that range with all the, all the uh, recruiting services, but um, and that and that doesn't really look all that different than what Brett Bielema did uh, before. And so that, there, there may be some people I imagine who are skeptical that things are really all that much better. But um, you know, when I kind of dug into that class, and I'm sure, as I'm sure you have, I mean, this, this they signed sixteen, at least according to 16 four stars, or uh, pardon me, eleven four stars. But I, you know, I kind of dug through the roster last year when the season began. They had 
16 four stars on the on the whole roster, and they signed 11 in this class. I mean, they they really you know rankings aside, they really are transforming the the talent level of this roster, and um, that's something to be excited about. Speaking with Jason Kersey of the Athletic, who wrote a great article about Chad Morris here on the Morning Rush. Jason, another question I have for you is you got to talk to him about the relationship that he has with the fans. Because I think that's something that people are always interested in when um, you got angry fans tweeting at him and tweeting at the team and all of that. But how does he feel about the fan base, about his relationship with the fan base? Obviously, coming off a tough year, nobody's really happy about it. But how does he feel about where he's at with the fans? I think he feels good about it. I mean, he, you know, that was one thing that, you know, I, um, I, I definitely spent time with him on and, and I, I, you know, because uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to know how he was handling things like them criticizing him for going to his son's high school games, which I thought was crazy last year when, when he was getting heat for that. And um, I got the sense that he thought it was pretty crazy too, but you know, he, he explained himself, I thought, really well uh, when it comes to that stuff. But then beyond that, I mean, he, he said that, I mean, the best line I think that he had in the whole interview was that, you know, he, he knows that they're passionate and he knows that he's coaching for the whole state. And he knows that they, I think he said, impacts every kitchen table and park and, you know, everything, uh, you know, around the whole state, basically, and that. Uh, that he thinks that Arkansas deserve the state of Arkansas doesn't deserve to have a good season. They deserve to have a good program, and that's what he's trying to build. And that's what. And when you're doing things like that, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom. And last season for Arkansas was certainly rock bottom. Well, and that was the thing too, is because of his the culture that he's trying to establish and taking over a situation like what Brett Bielma left him behind. I think that that was also what fans didn't really know how it was going to go because they don't see the ins and outs of the locker room. They don't know the personalities of these players. They don't really know what it's going to be like in that transition. I think a lot of people were just wondering, was it more of a culture problem? Was it a lack of talent problem? And I don't know if Chad Morris really alluded to either one of those, but I'm sure it's a little bit of both in that situation too. Well, that, that's so hard to say because and, – and I want to be careful too and I, I because I, I do – think that Brett is a good football coach. I know people probably don't want to hear that, but I, I do think that Brett is a is a good football coach. I think he knows football and I think that uh, and I think that Brett is a good man. I think the problem I think the Arkansas is a bad fit. Um and that became apparent I think in the last couple of years. I think he wasn't recruiting the right places. He wasn't, you know, recruiting the right talent and and you know, so I don't know if there's if he left necessarily a culture problem. I mean, that's that's a little bit hard to say for someone who's not around the program mm-hmm. every day. But he certainly left a talent problem, and um, that that couldn't have been more apparent as a, as Arkansas went up against the rest of the SEC, and even couldn't stay on the field with North Texas. I mean, they they you clearly have a talent problem in that situation, and and I'm not even sure I'm not sure who how many people really realized how dire the talent problem was. But when you're getting run off your home field by North Texas, you've—I mean—and that's nothing against North Texas. But when you're getting run off your home field by North Texas, you have a severe talent problem that that isn't going away. And after that, I mean, you know, they—they've got to—they've got to figure out the quarterback position. They've got a lot of things to figure out. And and uh, I, I'm not sure anybody, you know, really understood the depth of that problem. Yeah, it was certainly severe, and I think that that's what a, hope, a lot of people are just hopeful to to get better than two and ten. You know, I don't know if he can get any worse than that. I guess technically you could, 
But Razorback fans are really hopeful. And Razorback fans, if you want to check out more on this article, you can follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Kersey. You can also subscribe to The Athletic, where has a great article, great write-up that you can check out there as well. Jason Kersey of The Athletic, appreciate you joining me this morning, buddy. I know it's pretty early for everybody, but uh, I always appreciate you joining us, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you later down the road, my man. And I'm in the Eastern time zone. It's not too early right now. So, <laughs> Oh, perfect, perfect. Man. Appreciate it anyways, man. Thanks, man. Your number one source of local news and information you need. Like the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast? Check out the Halftime Pod and Ruskin' is Ranting podcast on hitthatline.com.